You're listening to an American Theatre podcast. American Theatre is a publication of Theatre Communications Group, www.americantheatre.org. Welcome, everyone, to Off Script, American Theatre's podcast on all things theatrical. It's June 9th, 2023. I'm Rob Weiner-Kent, the editor-in-chief, pronouns are he, him. I'm, I'm zooming in from the land of the Lenape in Queens, Although behind me, uh, if you're watching this on Facebook, is the United Platos Theater, where something's going to happen on Sunday. We'll talk about that a little bit later. I'm so excited to have with me back on the show and back on the American Theater team after a little hiatus. Uh, J.R. Pierce, tell us about yourself, J.R. Yeah, I'm J.R. Pierce. I'm excited to be rejoining American Theater as the new Chicago editor, based in Chicago, covering Chicago, we'll talk about it. But uh, I am zooming in from the unceded lands of the Council of Three Fires, the Ojibwe, Odawa, and Potawatomi, uh, excuse me, Potawatomi nations. And yeah, my pronouns are he, him. And yeah, I'll send it back to you, Rob, and we can talk about Chicago in a little bit. We're, we're excited today. We're doing a sort of pre-Tony broadcast we don't cover the tonys per se but tonys give us an excuse to write about the things we'd like to talk about uh so we're going to talk to uh two pulitzer prize winning and tony nominated playwrights uh martina mayok and Stephen ali gurgis who are will join us later for a sort of joint interview uh then later in the show we're going to talk to deep tran another former at person uh who's now at playbill uh to give her sort of prognosis on on uh what she thinks you do some punditry basically the tony tony punditry about uh that show and maybe talk a little bit about the state of broadway which is uh, a, a fun topic um so uh let's see a little business here first of all please uh support our work if you enjoy it uh if you want it to be better even uh go to americantheaterorg slash join to join us uh and support our work uh one thing you can support us in doing uh will to all that you hear us talk about is uh we are planning on a, a return to print uh we've been out of print since may 2020 and we are tentatively planning to come back as early as this fall um things are still in motion we're, we're hiring a managing editor working with a designer um actually sort of jointly with that it wasn't part of the print plan but it's going to fit perfectly with our our sort of uh turning the place around and rejuvenating is our Chicago office, which we got funding for especially, and we brought JR back. JR, tell us a little bit about Chicago office. Yeah, uh, kind of a dream that, that I feel like was something we envisioned might be a thing in the future back when I was the associate editor, covering specifically Chicago and its impact on the theater community at large. So like new works that are coming from the city, impactful productions that are coming from the city, because uh, if you ask me, short of New York City, it is the most impactful and important theater, theater city we have in this country. And so I'm hoping that my work and our new uh, assistant editor, Gabriella, and her work will be able to highlight just everything about this wonderful city. So like behind me is Chicago Shakespeare on Navy Pier. Uh, I just finished an interview with Barbara Gaines, who's going to be leaving the company she founded after nearly 40 years. So um, you can keep an eye out for that. We have an exciting uh, report coming on Albany Theater Project, who has completely gutted and renovated a building and you'll just have to see the photos to to understand how large of an undertaking that wound up being and i had the wonderful opportunity of spending yesterday morning chatting with kate errington steppenwolf ensemble member who is making her playwright debut at steppenwolf a little later this month so yeah exciting things on the horizon yeah, there's no shortage of interesting stuff in Chicago, and it has national impact. And of course, Chicago and the Midwest in general, uh, Chicago is sort of the hub of it, but there's a whole Great Lakes theater community scene, which is, uh, you know, it's it's always been part of our coverage area, but now we have a, a focused attention on it. Um, so let's just as quickly and briskly we can go through some of the some of the things we've published since our last podcast, which is a month ago, uh, a sort of unofficial Tony-related coverage 
I had a great dialogue with three directors of Sondheim uh, musicals. The, basically, the three first the first three productions since his passing that will, that are or will have been on Broadway. So what you know, there's Tommy Kale and Sweeney Todd currently running uh, Lear de Bessonnet, uh, her production of Into the Woods, which ran last year and uh, is now on tour, and uh, Maria Friedman, who's Marilyn Rolong, is going to be at the Hudson later this fall, and was at. New York Theater Workshop. So, and at Huntington before that, it was just mentioned. Uh, Ali Pearson, associate editor, had a great dialogue with uh, Emilia Sosa, the direct, uh, the designer on Sweeney Todd, as well as Anne Juliet, and a bunch of about seven shows, I think, total uh, between him and J. Jared Janis, who's a hair, makeup, and wig designer. Uh, they, you know, we don't we don't cover designers enough. I just just be honest about that. But even just uh, covering uh, hair, makeup, and wig is not uh, a Tony category. But if you listen, to, if you if you read this dialogue, you'll see that uh, they have a lot. They work in tandem, as you might imagine, um, in putting these very variously variously styled shows together. And then finally, we have a Q and A with Danny Feldman, the artistic director of Pasadena Playhouse, which is the recipient of the uh, regional Tony this year. The first. LA or Southern California. Well, I think first LA, I think there was some other Southern California theaters, but the first LA theater to get that honor since the Mark Taper Forum 46 years ago. So that's exciting. What's happening at Pasadena Playhouse is exciting. It's close to my heart. I have spent a lot of years in LA and I loved it. Loved the theater under Sheldon Epps leadership and uh, Danny seems to be carrying it on. JR, can you talk a little bit about some of the other things that we've written about, which is a lot. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it breezy. I'll keep it breezy. Uh, DCG recently announced the new cohort for Rising Leaders of Color, which Rob and I are both excited about, is focusing on journalists and critics of color. Uh, so this year, uh, Amanda Andre in LA, Sitlali Pizarro in New York City, and Africa Sela in Boston will be joining the RLC community. And you can keep an eye out for their work. They'll be publishing... Uh, on American theater. And so keep an eye out for their work in the coming year. Uh, we also had a report from Amelia Merrill who talked to, to folks about the public's announcement of the Under the Radar Festival going on a quote, extended hiatus and what that means and the impact of that festival no longer being an annual reliable uh, festival. And she takes a look at, at both the thoughts of festival director and producer Mark Russell, as well as some of the budgetary concerns and the overall impact that this can have on theater makers and, and new work. And then uh, as somebody who just came from Seattle, I was glad to see that we have a report from Misha Burson, who wrote about Justin Huertas's new play, Lizard Boy, and Justin Huertas is, is a, an artist. Uh, whose Lizard Boy is going to be at Prospect Theater Company through July 1st. Uh, I had a chance to chat with Justin when I was in Seattle uh, ahead of another world premiere uh, musical he had, Lydia and the Troll. Uh, and he's such a well-known name in Seattle. And I, I really look forward to folks in New York getting to know him and his work a lot more. And then uh, we had... Uh, Jacqueline Sinclair take you inside the rehearsal room and the development process for a really interesting production from Brazilian director Marina Zuritas called Riven, which was created in collaboration with actors Josana Vaz and Leila Garoni. And the play looks at the relationship between two Black women who are waste pickers in Brazil, and it interrogates this intersection of motherhood and the accumulation of waste that they, they created from doing research and a bunch of interviews. It was a one night only thing uh, earlier this month, but it's a fascinating backstory. And I will send it back to you, Rob, because I know you have more. Yeah, yeah, so I, I'll try to keep it really brief. Uh, just recently uh, at Bay Street Theater in Sag Harbor, it's a play called Double Helix, a musical about Rosalind Franklin, person whose photograph helped with the discovery of DNA, but was, she was never given sufficient credit for that. Fascinating story about the creation of that musical by Madeline Myers. Uh, in my long series of Q&As with artistic directors, I had a great chat with Will Davis, you know, artistic director of Rattlestick Theater. Expect more on that. Actually, our next podcast might be a little bit more about that theater and about the transition there. Uh, there was a, a fascinating piece about Maria, of, of 
a, a troupe a recreating Marie Irene Forna's Evelyn Brown at La Mama. And this was a piece that she really didn't claim authorship of. It was, it was uh, books that she found, uh, diaries of, of servants from uh, another era. I can't remember the era exactly, but she reconstructed their lives on stage in a way that was groundbreaking for the late seventies when it went up. And this person wanted, uh, uh, I, I should look at the story to remember the name of the person, but the, the, it was reconstructed recently at La Mama and it was uh, fascinating. There was pictures, try to, to, write, try to reconstruct a text without a script really, uh, with just, uh, and without a video. So that was fascinating. Uh, I don't want to rush too much, but uh, we have some Pride Month, Pride Month uh, stuff you can talk about, JR, that we just did. Yeah, uh, Linnea Valdivia spoke with playwrights Travis Russ and Melissa Moshito, who I know Linnea has worked with both of them as a dramaturg for their work. And so Linnea talked to them about their views and digging into like queer history and the importance of telling these kinds of stories today with everything going on in this country that's affecting queer and trans folks. So it's a fascinating conversation. And then Linda Buckwald took a look at taking Transparent the TV show and making it into Transparent the musical, which is running at Center Theater Group's Mark Taper Forum. And yeah, Linda talked to the creative team about recrafting these characters in a completely different social climate than they created the TV show in. So it's, it's a nice chat. And then finally, I would point to Amelia, another article from Amelia, uh, who headed out to the picket lines to talk to folks about the impact of the WGA strike on theater and theater artists. Amazing. Well, I, I think that was a whirlwind tour. Please go to americatheater.org. You'll find that and many other stories. And please support our work again at uh, americatheater.org slash join. Uh, I think we're ready to, uh, to talk to our guests today. Uh, it looks like Stephen is not quite in the chat yet, but I think it's there's no there's no point in delaying. Let's talk to Martina Mayok, uh, playwright who was born in Baytown, Poland, raised in Jersey in Chicago. She got the 2018 Pulitzer Prize for drama for her play *Cost of Living*, which debuted last fall on Broadway, and is currently nominated for the Tony Award for Best Play. Her other plays include *Sanctuary City*, *Queens*, and *Ironbound*, which we were proud to publish in a, a American Theater Magazine. Um, Martina. Welcome to Offscript. It's great, great to meet you and see you. Having me, yeah. I was just saying earlier, it's been so, it's so lovely to see your face. I've only read you, and so great to to meet you at least digitally. So thank you again for having me. Likewise, likewise, and congratulations on the Tony and and you know the Tony nomination. I mean, sorry, I <laughs> <laughs> don't have the award yet. Um, I think we were going to wait to talk to until Gurgis is on to 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 ask about whether you're going to follow the WGA advice not to go to the Tonys. Maybe we can talk about that because I. We'd hate to be deprived of a of a red carpet moment from you, but maybe maybe that's not going to happen this time. Uh, well, there is no red carpet. That's the other. That is. Oh, okay. There's just photos that are going to be taken, so there's no uh, no interviews that are going to be happening at the. Who who knows what Sunday? Who knows what's going to happen? The awards will be we, given. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah awards will, will be given. I think that they announced some performances. Uh, we know where we're going to be. So. Right. Right. <laughs> People yeah, will talk. Um, the apocalypse just takes it all out. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were talking about whether the air quality uh, is, yeah. is going to be good enough to, I, it, it looks like there was a, you know, it looks like it's back down. We have the air purifiers running here <laughs> at my house, but uh, I, I think things are, things are better. Wow. What, what a time to be, to be alive. Um, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's, it honestly, it's just like what, when there's more and more things that kind of keep um, being coming obstacles for the Tonys, I just remind myself that we had COVID with everything yes. was shut down at one point, like, this is all, you know, this is all um, not guaranteed and how wonderful that we can, we can get what we can get. And so, so I, I think I want to just ask you this sort of entertainment journalist question you get a lot, like what's, you know, what's it feel like, is Tony's, are the Tonys important to you? Does it feel great to be nominated for Tonys? Do you feel like it's honored to be part of the competition. You can, you can give us a quote, your quotes about that sort of thing. <laughs> you feel like, like you have a right. shot? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like, great. Uh, I I didn't grow up watching the Tonys. I didn't okay. see people until, until um, uh, sort of later later for the, than most people. And so I didn't, um, I knew, I guess I, I guess I knew about them. Um, and uh, and it wasn't until I think I really moved to New York uh, that, I, that I started 
started watching them but but what was i was a nominator of the Tony's nominator for the past three years mm -hmm. uh, which i and there's there's like 40 of us and so and i loved it part of the reason i wanted to um to do it was to get a wider education of broadway because i just hadn't gone um i couldn't afford it um i wanted to but i um when I, once i knew about it i, I wanted to go but it was so um cost prohibitive for me um so uh i i know what it's like to compile the categories and it's it, it's what's most meaningful to me is have knowing these 40 incredible artists and uh, administrators and activists that that make theater um deemed the play worthy of that honor. And so it felt mm -hmm. like my friends and people, and as well as people who I look up to and maybe don't know, um, gave gave me this, gave me this honor. And I get to be a part of, get to be a part of their world. Um, <laughs> to get like a little mermaid about it. <laughs> but it, you know, I I I I will I will burst into tears quite often um, thinking about this journey of the play mm -hmm. because I wrote it and started writing it in 2014 when I when I didn't have a home on um, quite literally I didn't have a place to live um, and have now found a home basically in the American theater see here they go here they go <laughs> of this wonderful community of friends and artists and and it just so that's the most meaningful that's the most meaningful thing to me is to feel like I have a home amongst people who I love and respect that's amazing yeah Sorry, no, I was just like, you mentioned, you know, that kind of mindset you were in when you were originally writing it. To have this premiere on Broadway years later, I'm curious, like, what about the play you see differently now? And if you could talk a little bit, for those who might not know, talk a little bit about the play itself, but then I'd love to dive into what's changed in your mind now that, you know, you've been through the last decade in this, in this industry and country. <laughs> Yeah, I um, when I started writing in 2014, and the first production was 2016. Then in New York was 2017, um, and uh, I had written it in a place of pretty intense grief and financial precarity. I didn't, you know, I didn't have a place to live. I didn't have much money. Um, I uh, things just kept on breaking in my life. Um, I lost a really close person to me. Couldn't attend his funeral, um, and uh, uh, so I had it, it, it was born out of this this place of of um, loss uh, and loss and lack and I I wondered how it's gonna what it's gonna feel like to revisit a play in twenty you know we started rehearsals in twenty twenty two and and tr frankly I was like are we are we gonna be am I gonna be over this play. It's is it it's so is it so much you know is it from a different time a tap time capsule uh, of a different um a play it's plays to me or time capsules of a certain specific moment in your life, and will I um will it no longer have resonance for me and actually, I had so I hadn't reread the play before we had our first read, um I didn't I didn't I I I waited until the first rehearsal to maybe because I was afraid that I would be like oh yeah I'm over this play, but actually it was the most moving and a affecting um, emotional uh, read of the play uh, I'd ever been a part of because I think I realized we'd all gone through this collective loss. We were all holding a certain kind of grief um, as well as having experiences with alienation and isolation and need healthcare um, who can have and who can't, who, you know, in, in, in a country that um, says, well, you can stay alive if you have enough money. Um, uh, so it was, as well as just us like reaching a, the the desire to reach out to other people. And so it was so, it, it felt uh, extremely more relevant to, to me and the people. There was just a palpable energy in the room of, of, um, uh, of, of something that felt necessary to be in conversation with. And I experienced that in the in previews and, 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 and um, the shows I, I, I had seen where I was getting responses from audience members of, um, the losses they'd experienced over the past few years, especially. And it felt, um, it seemed to have felt cathartic to commune with that collectively. Um, so yeah, I mean, for a sad reason, it felt like it was a lot more relevant and um, connecting of an experience this time around. Yeah, I, I think you, you talked a little bit with, with the piece you did with the deep wrote for us about the origins of this as a, as a, a, a play about grief. And it's interesting that it's not entirely about that. It definitely feels like it's motivated by that. I feel like 
uh, one thing we take for granted is that we've seen or, or read the play, uh, which I, 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 I hate to throw back in your face, like what a description of it, but basically I looked at the, <laughs> the Pulitzer, how the Pulitzer Prize described it, if, if this is a, that it was a piece about uh, two pairs of mismatched individuals, a former trucker and his recently paralyzed ex-wife and an arrogant young man with cerebral palsy and his new caregiver. That's the most, the barest sketch, but it shows you it's, it's a four character play, two relationships, which we don't necessarily immediately see the connection between. It seems like sort of, uh, just, just to give people who haven't seen it uh, uh, or read it, who had the great fortune, I think it's going to get some more productions. It's had a few productions uh, over the years, right? Is or is this or is it about to go out and have a bunch of productions? It had it had a few, but to be to be honest, it's the play of mine that's been least performed. Oh, um, interesting. Of the ones that's been of, of uh, I, I mean, as of well, since I last checked, um, Ironbound has had a lot more productions, and Sanctuary City compared to where you know um, Casablanca was at the time of the, at the time that Sanctuary City um was in publication um it's gotten fewer and smaller productions at least in america um and um i i can't i can't say for sure that this is the reason but i have i write in the play to um please cast disabled actors it's just a few words that's right and mm -hmm. i have been reached out to by theaters asking me if i really mean it <laughs> and, oh god uh and really so, yeah yeah and um okay i don't know you know so i i will then i say yes i do and i will furnish them with lists of actors who understudied or played the role or people that we've encountered in auditions um as well as theater companies like family and jeff west and tbtb that um and and, and greg's theater company uh, apathite that that are could be resources and then oftentimes mm -hmm. we from those theaters and so uh i can't say for sure that this is why it hasn't had as many productions but it that's uh it's been an interesting uh, conversation i've had with some of the theaters who expressed interest and then didn't do it uh that's right yeah but yeah i that is unfortunately uh, a reality about the way theaters approach things uh but then, yeah, hopefully this, this is a play that, uh, you know, it's it's one of those sort of catch-22 spi spirals that people talk about. Well, there's not enough plays for those parts of the people don't get cast, and, which is not true. There's lots of plays. But the more high-profile plays there are, the more roles there are, it's it's a self-reinforcing you know, a self -reinforcing, um, virtuous cycle, hopefully. Um, this is a question I was going to ask with, with, with Stephen and both of you in mind, but I think it's really, I, I, I oh, do Stephen, think. Where I, are you? <laughs> I, that's all right. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, we, we his his play between Riverside and Crazy is is great. Um, I I have to say I I think I tweeted right after I saw your play that I saw some affinity with his work. Um, and specifically, I feel like he tells stories of people of different classes. So it's not just a play set in a particular class that we don't usually see, which is definitely true. We don't see a lot of uh, uh, classes other than upper middle class in Broadway shows. Um, but there's a your play it's in particular is about uh, in part about class differences um and it strikes me uh what's special about both plays is that i don't think you're sentimental about that you're not like oh the 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 the, the noble poor or like you know, poverty makes you moral you know what i mean I, I feel like you're telling complicated stories or disability makes you noble either right um i don't know i just wanted to ask about wh whether that was something that obviously that, that springs from your own experience as well as uh your observations of life but if you could talk a little bit about about that aspect of the work um yeah totally i also just to talk about Girgis, like I, the first time i read one of his plays i felt like i'd i i i found a home as well and his in his just seeing the so we grew up in you know close nearby i was in i was in like north i was in working class north jersey and he was obviously between Riverside and Crazy End. <laughs> yes, yes. And, uh, so that, the, the capturing that mouth, like on the page, mm. I felt like mm. I, I, I just felt so at home and it was galvanizing to me to, to think that maybe I can, you know, I can bring my, the, the, the voice of the people that I grew up with on, onto the page. And um, it was immensely encouraging. So he's, to me, he's like, he's a legend. Um, yeah. I just remember like, how, just how meaningful that was to me. Um, I, when I first started writing plays, I began writing about my friends and family and myself or versions of myself. Um, and then from, by sharing them with other people from the outside, they would say, oh, well, you're writing about poor people or you're writing about immigrants. or you're writing about, you know, any of these uh, XYZ marginalized identities. And I'm like, 
I guess sure that's not untrue um but I they're 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 me and and the people that I that I knew and I grew up with them and, and then my family but I did realize that that's potentially how these plays are going to be seen mm. um uh and so that meant that um there was I felt a responsibility to make sure that I wasn't perpetuating certain stereotypes and dishonesties that mm. That, that had existed in narratives, which naturally will limit the amount of stories about any experience because you have 90 minutes or you have two hours. And if we keep you telling the same narratives, that's that, that in itself is a dishonesty um, because it doesn't account for the breadth of experiences that the, the human of any identity can have. Um, so there, so, so while it was, any of the writing was coming from me from a personal place of, of, um, a lot of these characters are com composites of people I know or versions of myself that I have been. Um, I did work as a caregiver for two men with disabilities when I was living in Chicago um, and also working at a bar, <laughs> working at bars on Clark and Division. So four in the morning, I'm at JR like, you know, <laughs> it's a rough spot. <laughs> Nothing good happens after 2.30 in the morning, you guys. Don't go to the bar then. <laughs> Everybody should be at home. Just go home. Just go home. <laughs> why? Why are you there? Why are you out? Uh, I was doing that and working with two men with disabilities in Chicago and pulled a little bit from from my experiences um, in in writing as well as having disabled people in my family. But um, I don't have a disability. Um, I'm writing characters that happen to be any of the identities I have. Characters characters who happen to be women. Characters who happen to be first gen, where mm -hmm. their experiences will inform. A lot of who they are, but they I, I don't I don't see myself as writing identity plays. I do write about class. Um, I think that that is class and and um, I guess some version of an immigrant experience or in a female experience because I think that's in my psychology. So I see the world in a particular way. My characters see the world in a particular way. Um, uh, like with Sanctuary City, uh, it, that I realize in developing that play that it's actually about the mentality of a of um, two groups of people who have not been welcomed um, throughout most of their, who haven't felt welcomed throughout most of their lives. And what does that do to somebody's mind um, and soul as they're moving into their adulthoods? So I don't know, I'm jumping all over the place, but I do feel, I'm, I'm, I feel honored to be in any way aligned with Girgis because he was such an inspiration to me. And, and I do think that, oh yeah, we, we traffic in similar themes. Yeah, definitely. It was a, it was a, it was an inspired pairing. Maybe we'll get him on at some point. But in any case, <laughs> well, I I was going. Uh, you mentioned Chicago. Now it makes me want to ask about Chicago, but I'm not. I'm going to focus. I'm going to focus on what we're talking about. Uh, I kind of want to go back to something you mentioned a little bit ago because I just came from Seattle, and a small theater company was preparing to do cost of living sound mm -hmm. theater in in Seattle, and so I unfortunately had to leave before they were able to open, but. I know that their community as a community that is focused on marginalized folks, especially folks with disabilities and folks who are like, who are queer and trans and making sure those people feel heard. I'm curious, well, I have two questions. I'll ask this one. Can you talk a little bit about how you see the importance and impact of telling this particular story on a Broadway stage versus telling it out in the regions and telling it to, to the folks around the country, but also having, because we all know Broadway is a very particular audience, but presenting that audience with this story. To the, I never, I, I like it's beyond my wildest dreams. And so the, 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 it being on Broadway just means it gets to amplify the story and these types of stories even more so than, um, I think about like, um, People, people across America know about Hamilton because it was on Broadway because it reached a certain level. Like these, these, uh, you know, people from high school are texting about the Tonys that I, you know, like they didn't know. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know where to find off Broadway. I didn't know what off Broadway theater was growing up. Like it's a rarefied, beautiful space um, that is, you know, like it's hard to know about if you're not part of the 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 world of making theater. Um, and so, but but Broadway has this um, reach. Uh, where, where I think also similar, like with, with with the Pulitzer and with any sort of validation that the story gets, is that what, how how I take it is that these stories have meaning. In my heart, they've had meaning always. Um, the stories of of the, the the people that I write, the people that I know, but um, and also, or or I'm going to will it such. Like I think I I think I wrote some of these so that I felt like I had meaning. 
Like I was questing for that to, for that to be the case because I wanted to matter so desperately. I wanted my mom's story to matter so desperately and getting validation from these, from these places and um, uh, institutions like Broadway and the Pulitzer feel like they are, they're, 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 they're helping to have people understand that there's, that actually there's, there's universality to these stories, that they are, they are important to be heard and they're, they're, they're political, personal, they're American, especially when writing about immigrants, I really want that to be, these are American stories. Uh, so it helps it not get lost. Um, help some of these stories not get lost to have it be on a platform like Broadway. Um, hopefully, maybe one day in a film, uh, it, whatever whatever gets it so that there's more there's some kind of access to for both people for whom this is not their experience, so that they might be invited in and find out actually where they align in that experience, as well as for people who are from that experience to see themselves ourselves on stage and know that and, and to get like the first time my mom saw her, like. Uh, was the opening of Ironbound. It was like, it, this was in DC and there was a theater of 300 people that's, that at the end of it, they stood up and they applauded this woman's life who had lived in, in, in as, as invisible as possible because she was so afraid and she seemed, deemed her, her life so unremarkable. To, to see a full theater stand up and applaud for my mother was the best experience I've had in my full career. And I, and <laughs> some of those fucking tears keep going. So that's that, I, I quest for that, for that. And I think Broadway is a part, is, is helps, helps in, in um, lifting up and, and um, sharing our stories. Yeah, and you've talked, you've talked a bit about it in like bits and pieces. So I wanna ask more directly, can you tell us about like your ability as a playwright, as advocate? to make sure to put these very direct instructions in your character descriptions, very, like, what I loved is both your, you advocate for the disabled community in your, your character description, but you also, for, for the folks of color in your play, open the door for, well, you can hire this, but make these changes to make sure it fits their identity. So I'd love to just ask more directly, like, can you tell us about your ability as a playwright to advocate for folks whose stories aren't getting told or aren't being heard as much as they should. I think in in some ways you have to be exclusive to be inclusive. So when I wrote Please Cast Disabled Actors, there's an exclusivity of that as asking actually for something that's, that's more inclusive um, because historically that group of actors has been jumped over to hire bigger names to play to play certain roles. Um, and uh, that just felt, I mean, when I wrote Please Cast with Actors, I didn't think it was a big, big of a fucking deal, but just in case, because of what happened with Katori's play. Uh, hey, Darius. <laughs> Wait, we can't hear you. <laughs> Sorry. Shall I, keep, shall I keep going? Yeah. I was like, um, so yeah, when I, it didn't, it, I, you know, what happened with Katori's play where they, um, I forget where this was, but they had, she was doing the mountaintop and um, somebody cast a white man to play Martin Luther King. And, and then when she was like the fuck, then they basically were like, well, you didn't, you didn't specify. And so I was like, let me just in case this shit happens. Let me write, please cast disabled actors and realizing what a big political statement that was. And then the case of Sanctuary City, um, inclusivity is like keeping it more open actually keeps it more that, that that's, that's a version where like, where widening something makes it more inclusive where I say you can change aspects of um I do this in cost of living as well you can change aspects of someone's background to to make space for very different experiences um so that there's different versions of the story as uh community to, to community um in hopes that that's just uh, uh there's there's just more opportunities for versions of the story that that um um it's but it all but where it all comes it's just it's all just from my growing up like I grew up in a multicultural working class neighborhood where everyone was from fucking everywhere parents were learning English along with their priest along with their kids like we were both learning at the same time so it's just like my translating my version of America and home yeah and I, I love I just love the care that you went about this with especially when we talk casting and diversity and casting, a lot of times folks who are like actors of color can feel like plug and play, like, oh, I'm just going to change the color of this actor or this character rather than like fully considering what impact that has throughout the story and like 
the nuance of language of like actual background and like full names like I think that's yeah it shows a level of care and I just appreciated that thank you, thank uh, I'll you. toss it back to I wanted to get one of welcome welcome Stephen to the conversation Stephen Adley Gerges it's great to have you with us yeah obviously I am so sorry I'm so sorry I got <laughs> caught up in some stuff last night and it just it just erased everything and I just someone just texted me and said I'll see you at the Facebook event. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so my lateness and my it is not a, a reflection of uh, my appreciation of American Theater Magazine, <laughs> TCG, Writers Guild, everything. I, I really yeah, yeah. No, no. To, to, to apology, apology accepted. But better late than never. Always in, in your case, Stephen. Uh, obviously, you jumped in. And we were talking a little bit about. Uh, Martina's uh, play, uh, and um, among others, the cost of living uh, has uh, in the casting description. You know that they should cast disabled actors. And I know, not to rehash some old old business, but I know this issue of casting authentically was definitely part of. I remember there was that motherfucker with the hat controversy. I forget it was Hartford. I forget. We don't have to rehash all that. First of all, congratulations on Between Riverside and Crazy. Um, you know, we we covered a bit before you got here about. Uh, the way she the way Martina writes about class and also she had some uh she had some kind words for for your for your work as well which you could probably share again if you want but I tell me just a little bit about this your second time at the Tony is that right yeah it'll be the second yeah. time that's right and uh the first my sister sent me a text when this happened and she said please enjoy this process because last time you were miserable. I don't know if I was miserable. And the other thing that I remember so well was like, I didn't, you know, I didn't necessarily think we were going to like win a lot, but, but Oscar used this for a drink beforehand because he was involved as, uh, in my and, and like we said hello. And the first thing he said was like, you know, you guys are not going to win anything tonight. <laughs> right. And I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I know that. And I was like, not even Yule. Like, um, but it was a lot, it was cool. It certainly took the pressure off. Um, and I could tell from my seat, I was like sitting in the back of the beacon that it didn't look, uh, it didn't look good, but we had a great time. Is it, should, I don't know, is it craft for me to ask what you two think? Do you, do, what, do you think your chances are? You're thinking about your chances, uh, Martina and Steven? About I don't the, think I'm gonna win. I don't think I'm gonna win. No, you think it's gonna be Tom, <laughs> Sir, Sir Tom, you think? I mean, yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that seems to be the favorite, right? Um, We'll talk later with Deep Tran about sort of punditry about that, about like, you know, what the industry is saying and all that stuff. But uh, I did want to ask the question, are, are you all going to the Tonys? Are, are you going to go make a statement? This is the question, what are you going to wear? All that stuff. I think that, I'm not sure if we were not supposed to talk about it. Uh, okay. But, but yes, I'm going to the Tonys. I'm wearing a pin that, um, <laughs> you know, that, that represents the union. And and okay. and my feeling is like, of course I support the union. I support the union, hundred percent. But I also support my, my my the theater. That's where oh. I came from. That's what I'm about. And I support New York City, because it's right. just you know, because the, the theater's not back. You know, Broadway's not back, uh, and it needs to be nurtured back. You know, so yeah, if I get it blackballed because I showed up to not win a Tony, you know, <laughs> no, fuck them, fuck them, fine. Martina, you have oh, to answer fine. the question. I'm also wearing a pin. <laughs> I'm wearing a pin, okay. And other All things. Right. <laughs> yeah, and other things, that's just a pin. All right, yeah. I've uh, seen I've seen Martina's dress. Yeah, oh. yes, yeah, right. That's gonna be a good one. <laughs> and and, and, and Angie's too. <laughs> So no word on no word on who, who you're wearing, uh, Stephen. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> let's see. Yeah, I I don't know if there's anything more to say about the WGA uh, at this point. Um, obviously, it's it's a strange time. I did want to ask ask you know a little bit about the past couple of years. It's I was a it's a well worn topic. We're not we're not it's, you know kind of relieved not to have to ask about like how's COVID, but basically. Stephen, I spoke to you right before. I we talked to you when Halfway Bitches was up at Atlantic. Um, it was right before the pandemic. I mean, but you both to tell me how did you spend these past couple of years? Did were you were you did you despair? Did you 
use the time to to get some work done? Did you, you know, reconnect with uh, your humanity? What, what what was the last two years, two or three years like for you? Martina? I had two breaks. Like, <laughs> I, uh, I found it really hard to write anything original that spoke to right now. So I found, um, I found company in, in adaptation, especially working on The Great Gatsby, which is a story that's set four years after the end of a world war and four years after a pandemic that killed a third of the world. And then I was like, I get the parties. I understand the gin now. I understand the kind of feral hunger that's underneath it all. And so I was able to, in, in, in having this like a uh, co-writer in the ghost of F. Scott Fitzgerald, I was able to, to process some of the stuff that was going, that was coming up for me in the times of the, of like deep, deep pandemic, especially. Um, but I found it completely fucking debilitating to try to write something that was about what was happening now. I think I still had to, when, you know, we, we were in previews for Sanctuary City uh, and uh, we had to shut it down before it could open. And I feel like my entire fucking value system broke. Like I, I was like, wait, what, so, what, so what's, what have I been building my meaning on and my purpose um, if it can just be taken away so quickly and so easily and nobody cares. Uh, and so there was a process of building, building, building and breaking, building and breaking. And I think I'm still in the process of building and breaking and hopefully out of that will come something that's of use to other people. Yeah, and me, you know, the first couple of weeks of the pandemic, I was fine. I read detective novels, I did the crossword puzzle, um, and everything was fine. And then for about three, four months, I was, you know, by myself because I have whatever pre-existing conditions. So it was like, and for about three or four months, I engaged in like extremely destructive behavior. And then after that, I, I most of the pandemic was about trying to get well, trying to get well from before. I mean, like uh, uh, halfway bitches, right? There was a photo from the last night and um and i was about 350 pounds and but more than that when i looked at my face i was just humiliated to exist so i've been working on myself uh ha didn't really do much writing um i'm working on a on dog day afternoon uh for broadway um and uh they've been extremely patient um i'm just at the point now what i did do was play guitar every day and, and I started writing songs, you know, and I became aware that the creative outlet wanted to get out, even though I was resisting it. Now I'm at a place where I think I want to write. I want to finish Dog Day, make it good. And, and I have a couple of other, I want to, you know, I want to like, what, what did Shaw say? I want to be thoroughly used up when I die, you know, and uh, <laughs> so I'm ready to go back to war. You're going to do a, a cabaret at Joe's Pub like Susan Laurie with your songs, you know, you got to do the plague songs, now, right? That that's like a bucket list right like, i'm 58 like i could probably do that if i make it to 65 it could be okay. old man old <laughs> man songs i'm there i'm there that's amazing speaking of it's, what you're working yeah. on next uh, i'd love to toss that to martina as well i'm curious what you have coming up next and is anything bringing you through chicago again selfishly <laughs> uh yeah actually sanctuary city is gonna be up at steppenwolf uh in fall so thrill it's like where i became a city was where i became a playwright and realized i could maybe do that so it's really it's it's so fucking meaningful to have it especially at that theater um uh i'm yeah i've been doing two musicals one is the one is gatsby and one is an unannounced or whatever um but i which i fucking love because i hate i mean i hate writing so much it's such agony and it's so lonely um i think steven and i share this i <laughs> hate it uh, but like with, with writing musicals, at least there's somebody in the muck with you earlier. And so I've loved being able to, to create with a, with a partner, um, in that, in that way. I'm doing also, um, two films, uh, my first film, if all goes, you know, if all goes okay with the strike, we'll get shot in fall. Um, so I hope, I hope, and, and then I got to write some plays so that I know who I am. Amazing. I, I just want to, we, we need to we need to, to go to our next segment. I'm sorry, Stephen, you got here late, but I just want to ask the question. You probably asked a lot, but I want to sort of close on this. What, what you know, you probably get asked all the time advice for young playwrights. A young playwright comes to you, I want to be you. I want to do what you do. What do you tell them? And is, has, it, has it maybe maybe changed in the past couple of years what you would tell them now that your giant Broadway successes? Uh... <laughs> um, 
Um, man, that's you need a fast answer. No, uh, and, you know, <laughs> take all the time um, you want. I'm always encouraging. I always say if it's something that if you if you really really want to do it, you will find your place in this business. It may not be where you know. I came in this business. I want to be Al Pacino. You know, I'm not Al Pacino, but I'm somewhere in the thing. And everyone that I know who really loves this thing mm. and really like puts their full effort into this thing, they find their place. Um, and uh, so I say that and um, and and I say I write about what keeps me up at night and, and that and that that whether it's writing or acting, it doesn't have to be um, masochistic, you know, opening veins all the time, but it should cost you something to, to write what you write. Mm -hmm. um, because uh, it, it's not a guarantee it's gonna be any good, but if it didn't cost you anything to do it, the chances are I'll, I'll be yawning or, or I'll be fucking angry that I'm in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't want to make anyone angry to be in the theater. So I'm always trying to write something that means something to me. And I'm aware of the fact that I'm not allowed to bore the audience to death. Well, mission accomplished. Uh, Martine, I don't know, you probably asked this question too. And the same thing. It's I, I feel like most of my, uh, I, I go to battle every day with myself to uh quiet the voices that tell me i don't matter and this is bullshit and why would i do this and like i i guess i offer solidarity to everybody else who's in them in that muck that that um if you can if you can move through that and write the things share the things that you care most about um then then one day potentially what you've made will will transcend your 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 bones being dust and live on and be able to make somebody else feel less alone uh and so to 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 um trust in the the in the everything of your truth and the ugliness and the beauty and the complications of of that and the things that you care about and be generous and give that to us because we are all uh none of us know what the fuck we're doing and and i think <laughs> i've i've been like the, the most alive I have felt in the world has been in the theater, in, in the audiences of plays that are endeavoring to reach out to me in some way with like they're full of their own complications. And so um, I'm just, I, I, I encourage people to, to do that selfishly for my own, because I want, as I want it so that I feel less alone. Um, and because they, they do matter, these stories do matter. They, I, you know, that's, yeah, <laughs> keep, keep, keep going. <laughs> Keep going and know that there's somebody else who's in agony with you <laughs> trying to make something amazing happen. amazing yeah i think that's true of both your plays um they're both eminently worthy of the pulitzers they won and the tony nominations wish you both the best on sunday um and, and thanks so much for for joining us today i would be happy if martina won because martina is one of my favorite writers and i stumbled onto her by accident but to me she's the real deal and it costs her something to to write and she writes great stuff so i want to say that and i want to say i'm really sorry about being late i'm don't worry again like better a, late than never man love you i love you i think the same thing if you i think if if if, if any of us win perhaps be you know except for one it's gonna be a fucking victory but steven you're a fucking legend and your inspiration uh, and i think yeah steven mckinley henderson wins i would be overjoyed I'll leave <laughs> yeah that would be that would be a great yeah. great thing thanks so much you two thank you have fun thank you bye so now we're going to talk a little bit more about the Tonys with somebody who I, I know you, uh, she did a great interview with, with Martina, has probably been listening with her ears burning, ready to ask other questions and ask different questions. But we're going to Deep Tran, the editor-in-chief of Playbill, the former senior editor of American Theater, friend of the, friend of the pod, I guess you might say, friend of the magazine. Um, Deep, are you in your office now at, uh, at Playbill now? Uh, yeah, uh, friend of the pod, straight shooter. Um, no, I'm at home because oh, yeah, we work yeah. from home on Fridays here at Playbill. <laughs> good to know. Good to know. It's good to see you, Deep. We, we've been talking about having lunch, but it's been, it's a very busy time uh, at yeah. right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is your, you've only been there a few months. Is that right? It's about. Uh, we're at nine months now. Oh, nine months. Gosh, it's time. Yeah, does, so, time does fly. Yeah. Your so first, we, it's like first... I've birthed this rebirthed this, this publication <laughs> this is your first tony season right your first full season right um my first i mean 
we worked together for nine years, Rob. So we well, I mean, so okay, we, yes. did, we did cover <laughs> Broadway winning shows. That's right. That's right. It's not your first season as an observer in theater journalist. I'm just saying your first at Playbill where you're literally, I think you're on the front lines in a way you weren't at American theater. The yes. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's more responsibility when you're one of the media sponsors of the oh, right. Awards. I didn't, you are actually yeah. a media sponsor. I did not know that. Yes. And yeah, we provide the official program that everyone gets okay. the night of. So nice. that's very exciting to look through and proofread and make sure no one's names get spelled wrong. Okay. So it's a high intensity point. And where it like, we the, the difference between doing this job versus my, the work we did at American Theater is like, you know, we you don't like award shows, Rob, so we never really covered them. So, but <laughs> but at Playbill, the Tony Awards are our Super Bowl. It is right. the it is the event of the year, and so on Sunday it'll, it's going to be all hands on deck for me and my team and we'll call time is at 3.30 and we'll be working from 3.30 until whenever the thing finishes and after. Wow, and yeah. Parties to go to. And that, so that includes not just stuff on like text online, but you'll be doing videos and, and live tweeting and- Oh, we're I, not on Twitter anymore. Oh, that's so, right, I forgot, God, that's no. right, yes. No. God, no. Instagram, I suppose, right? Yeah. Yes, we'll be. Yeah. Yes, we'll be doing videos. We'll be on the red carpet because, mm -hmm. fun fact, this year there are no cameras allowed on the red carpet of the Tony Awards. So if you want photographs of what people are wearing, then please visit playbill.com. Oh, so you have an exclusive uh, exclusive uh, coverage deal there. Is that what? No, it's not exclusive. It's more okay. like we're, we're, up, we're live uploading photos from, from the I red see. carpet. Okay. It's a big tech thing. Okay. This is what I've been worried about for the last week. It's just logistics. <laughs> well, I, I realize you're project managing how to cover this event. Wow. And to cover it sort of from within, like like officially, right? Is what is yes. what you're talking about. Yeah. That's uh so I didn't even realize how I, I knew you would be all over it and Playbill be at, again on the front lines of it, but I didn't realize quite how embedded you are. And also how precious your time must be. So thanks so much for taking some time today, a couple of days before the actual event. Um, yeah, I don't know why, why I said yes. It, it's just mainly like, oh, it'll be nice to talk to other people right now. Well, I'm glad you did, TD. I, I don't know if, if then if, if you're either qualified or feel comfortable doing some punditry about like what the industry is saying, who's going to win. No, not, that's, you can't really talk about that, I guess, right? Because mm -hmm. you can't put, yeah, so you're not, you're, yeah, you're not doing that kind of like, horse race coverage of like oh you know tom stoppard is up his fortunes are up or okay well i mean i have opinions but we can talk about them off the record <laughs> <laughs> you can you tell us uh, the categories that you seem most competitive to you or something like that without favoring uh without favoring a particular person or no 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 i think just 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 to be safe i don't i mean both votes have been cast by this point it has been decided and right. so nothing right. we pundit will actually matter it's just more like why would I spoil people's fun and okay. predicting what might happen? But I'm I'm looking forward to being surprised in certain categories. Okay, that that's fair enough. So there's some categories that do feel up in the air. There's some that will people I think people are saying it's like this is a slam dunk, or it's be a big yeah. surprise if, if upset if that person didn't get it. But then there's others. I mean, I don't read closely as as we do talked about. I don't really not a awards person, uh, award show person, but. I mean, Adam Feldman, I look at his some of his stuff and, you know, some of the categories are really close. Even people like him can't can't decide who they think. Yeah, is so, I mean, I will admit, I, I, I will say that Best Musical is very close. Like, okay. I don't, I, I think any of them can take it. Like, I think about the year that everyone thought Wicked would win, but Wicked did not win and Avenue Q won. Yeah. And so, yes, you have this big musical going up against these smaller, also very strong musicals, more art, artistic um adventurous musicals and so it's going to be a toss-up on uh, what gets chosen mm -hmm. so that's going to be a, 
exciting and something to wait until 11 o'clock at p.m. on a Sunday night for. I, I don't have like mm -hmm. I don't have a, a Tony or question. I just you know career journalist question. I'm <laughs> curious like nine months into into being a playbell like what do you mm -hmm. wish you had known when you started that you now know or utilize on a daily basis? Uh, I guess I wish I would have known how hyper scrutinized it would, this being in this position and being part of this publication would be, you know, like I've never led a publication and I always just was myself, mm -hmm. always speaking for myself and no one expected me to speak for a publication. And now I don't have that luxury of speaking for myself. And I have to be more careful about everything that I put out on social media. And that's the catch 22 of being a journalist right now. I feel like it's like you're, you are expected to be present online, but there is a, there is a limit to what you can even say and Social media's currency is authenticity, but by mm -hmm. virtue of being in this job, I am less authentic and less, I guess, um, at, you know, outwardly responsive. Mm -hmm. Things are happening because I literally cannot be. And that's been an interesting transition. Yeah, I love that you mentioned social media. I, I did the KCACTF like theater journalist session uh, earlier this year. And I was asked by some of the students like, okay, so how am I able, how am I allowed to behave on social media? And I'm like, I don't have a good answer. Like it feels, mm -hmm. it depends on your position, your publication, you as a person, what those thoughts you're putting out. So it's interesting to hear you like, talk about how you have to kind of reorient your brain around that kind of interaction that is super crucial for journalists like that is something I'm terrible at but it is like a, a very significant part of our industry so yeah yeah and the thing is like I and and it, and it sucks it's not it's not fun to not be able to say what it is I'm actually thinking so these days I'm just dependent on group chats but yeah, then I also go. feel like maybe everyone should just be saying the thoughts that they want to say privately to friends. Maybe everyone should actually just get friends instead tell, instead of saying things to millions of strangers. I think that would make us all healthier actually. So, so paradoxically, <laughs> this job has forced me to go offline for a good portion of my life, which is actually quite healthy for me in the long run. That does seem healthy. Yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, I was thinking along with you every step of that conversation. It's like, yes, and to all of that. Um, I guess I, maybe maybe this is a question you 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 can or cannot weigh in on. But I wanted to know, you know, Charlotte St. Martin said something a couple months ago. It was Broadway audiences are back at eighty eight percent, give or take. Um, I mean, that's what she said, eighty eight percent. Not give it. I had to give or take. Um, is that your impression? Do you do you feel like? Broadway's back, baby. You know, is is that is that the headline you would give? Uh, maybe you have to officially say so. I and mean, maybe this is something where you can't can't give your thoughts deep. But I'd love to know. I mean, grosses wise, it's back. Good. Okay. Yeah, gross. Right? Like, I mean, at the end of the day, this is a commercial business, and so if we're looking at how much money Broadway has brought in, like, yeah, it's this season has been successful and there and you know on the playbill side like revenue continues to increase because we measure it through ad revenue we measure it through sponsorship right. and those are also continuing to grow and i'm actually quite happy with how this season shaped up in terms of just the quality of the work mm -hmm. because uh, and other than you know the best uh, front runner for best play like I didn't know actually I should rephrase that um 
And like, there has been such a, like the reason I can't say like what the best musical is, is because like, it has been, there's been such a great, great variety of work that has been presented. And during, I remember during COVID-19, like there was that We See You White American Theater letter and there was, and the creation of the Black Theater Coalition. And there, there were conversations within the commercial sector of this industry to try to make it more reflective to heed the call of the of the field and of the general culture and i think since we've been back it there have there are people who are trying to answer it and i see the nomination of tony nominations for things like cost of living and for eight mo and for kimberly akimbo like these things that that just span the gamut from the very outwardly commercial like an Anne Juliet to a quirkier, to a strange but beautiful, profound thing like Kimberly Akimbo. And so it's like, yes, at the end of the day, it is money, but like there are people trying to create here because I think as Martina said earlier, it's, like Broadway is how, like the, the reason the Tony Awards is important for Tony Awards to be broadcasted, broadcasted on CBS, it's so that people all over the country can see what theater can be. What, mm-hmm. like, yes, you, yes, it is beautiful to, to get your start in the, in your local regional theater and and to make a life there but and but and broad but at the same time broadway is the top of what of like the the top of what this industry can do the biggest money the biggest budget this what this is what happens when theater artists are given millions of dollars to create and And it is what breeds new theater goers who will see a Kimberly Akimbo or a Shucked on the broadcast and think, oh, I can do this. I can make costumes. I can direct. I can act. And then they'll get into this odd little industry of ours and realize, oh, maybe I don't have to make a Broadway show. Maybe I'll just, I can be happy like making weird things in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. But that is a gateway for a lot of people. So. It is. I, I, I noticed recently uh, that Jessica, if Je- I don't know if Jessica's fav- Jessica Chastain's favorite to win the Doll's House, but we have happily reshared some of her videos, both her Drama Desk Awards acceptance and a Today appearance where she says, this is very, very relevant. She says she would tape the Tonys and watch them all year. And she had a subscription to American Theater Magazine. So those are her two pipelines to like the fact that there's a, and if there's a regional theater. Brad. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, congratulate, you know, the Tonys as well, right? Like the, there, there's this national glittering world that you could be part of, but also this other, you know, regional theater world, which is exciting and inspiring too. So yeah, we were very excited to uh, welcome Jessica to our to our fold. Um, she's one of us, right? Uh, I, I was thinking back when you were talking about this past season, and I do agree with you, you wrote a great piece, uh, like the season after Hamilton for us at American Theater saying, okay, so uh, Where's all this diversity that Hamilton's supposed to supposed to bring in? Because the season right after it was not as diverse yeah, as it was. Yeah. 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 Um, but it sounds to me like you're, you know, cautiously optimistic that it looks mm-hmm. like people have heeded the call. I will say the last season, the season before this past one, was a very diverse season as well. It does seem like um like that's starting to happen. And I always wondered whether looking to Broadway to diversify the theater, you know, obviously our, our backyard is really the regional theater, and that's where a lot of the focus is. It's like, well, that's commercial. That's what people pay for. But I think that that has, therefore, has a huge impact. Um, so, it's a leader. Um, it, 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 yeah. And it should, and it should act like a leader and try to, like, lead the field in a better direction. Granted, you know there are commercial constraints, but yeah, but yeah. indeed, you are a leader within the leader so uh, no not really i have nothing to do with how the tony awards are uh well, no you know that's that's or true run. You... <laughs> i i just 
<laughs> I just we just provide the programs there you and go. write about yeah and cover every facet of it. So this year has been an interesting year to be a part of it, only because I've been told previous years, oh, it's you know, it's mainly mainly covering the nominees and uh, and the days leading up to it. But this year has been a particularly dramatic year. As you all mentioned, the WGA strike, and yes. there were there was that span of time when we didn't think this the broadcast would even happen, yes. and so as I wind this season down, I am looking forward to a more relaxing season. <laughs> but the real question just... is, do you have a vacation plan? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am going on vacation for a couple of days in July, but then right after that, I got to head to the Edinburgh for the Fringe Festival. Oh my gosh. So. No, no rest for the weary. No, no. The, and this is one of the things where I need to look, I need to research why this is happening, but there are more shows opening in the summer now. <laughs> and wow. we're not, yeah, there, so there really is no resting. Like after this, it's here lies here lies love is opening, and yeah. that show has its own set of conversations that it's inspiring. Yes. I'm sure you will cover all those conversations. We have we have some things that we're cooking up as well about on that one. So um, I'm sure we will talk more about it. Um, so deep. I wish you have uh, the best possible Tonys. Um, thanks for taking time today to rejoin us. It's like the team is back together uh, a little bit. Um, I want to thank uh, Ali Pearson for producing today and hosting and thank American Theater. Please, please subscribe, join, uh, you know, support our work. And uh, of course, check out playbill.com the latest coverage of Broadway. Deep, thanks so much, yeah. JR. It's been a plug. It's been great.